We're going to be continuing in our series on sowing and reaping. And this morning, I want to talk to you about expecting a harvest, expecting a harvest. So in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have what I'm, I'm calling Harvest Sunday. And it's one of the most exciting times in our, in our church calendar and in our lives because it gives us an opportunity to bring a gift to the Lord, something that he's laid on your, on your heart. Pastor David and I have already been praying. We're like, okay, what are we going to bring? We're praying and doing our best to hear from God. So that Harvest Sunday, November 16th and 17th, the Harvest Weekend, we're going to bring gifts just like it's harvest season and you bring the bounty. God's blessed you. He's blessed me. We're going to bring a gift just to show our thankfulness. All right. So if we're going to have Harvest Weekend, how do we then expect the harvest? If you have your Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading God's word at verse 8. Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to, to the sower, I'm jumping to verse 10 now. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. In other words, he's, he's making a comparison here. He gives farmers, sowers, seed. He gives them the ability to put seed in the ground. And then he doesn't just give them seed to sow. He causes that, that same seed that they sow to come back and bless them. And they are able to make bread out of the grain from that seed. So he gives them seed to sow and bread, comparison. And so he says, and God will also, he, oh, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed. He's saying he will supply and increase the seed that you have. He wasn't referring to the seeds of, of plants. He was referring to the stuff in your pocket. Their resources and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So that same seed that you give is going to be enlarged and there's going to be an impact. It's going to represent the righteousness of God that you're carrying because you walk with the Lord. Okay, let's continue and finish this up. Last verse, verse 11. You will be enriched in what? Every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, Paul saying through us, he and his companions, it's going to produce this amazing thanksgiving to God. All of that giving, it's going to be a supply for you. You're going to be able to eat some of that, but then it's going to be taken and scattered and be a blessing to others. And at the end of the day, there's going to be this party. There's going to be this praise of God. So, in this passage, I see, I see a fourfold process. Just like there are uh, 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 cyclical seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, just like there's a cycle to the day, there's noon, there's 6 p.m., there's 12 midnight, and you go back again, six, and, and so there's a cycle in life. And what I see in this passage is that there's this fourfold cycle in these four verses. 
Number one, I get. He talks about how God supplies. So I get, I receive. God wants to supply. God's purpose and plan for us is that he would supply. I get. And then, number two, I grow. So he gets the seed, and like that farmer, he's got to put it in the ground and plant it before it's going to yield more grain. He'll be able to make his bread. He'll be able to give some of it away. So there's a growth that has to happen. I get, I grow. Number three, I give. And number four, so let's put a two here. Y'all can tell I'm not a teacher, right? I don't know how to do this. Okay. I get, I grow, I give. And the last one is grace abounds. So there's this grace, there's this sense of God's being involved, of his power coming into the, into the life of the giver. And that is the product of the thanksgiving that also happens. So once we give, and you might think that God wants you to just give. You might think that this passage is all about giving. Oh, no, 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 no. This passage is this process. And I want to say that when it comes to expectations, we all have expectations, Expectations are the things that life are made, as, is made of. Expectations are hopes and dreams. Expectations speak of a heart that has a vision for tomorrow. High expectations typically are, are, are accompanied with this sense of, of very clear vision and the possibility of that vision coming to pass. Low expectations tend to deal with doubts, fears, Disappointments, frustrations, lack of self-confidence. But what Paul is talking about here is that we, the people of God, would have high expectations. See, in verse 8, you got to realize that it says, God will supply what? Abundantly. And so there's this, there's this requirement that Paul is talking about when it comes to expectations. And every one of us has expectations, but this is what I've learned. People in life who are able to take a hold of those expectations usually have a coach. And the Corinthians needed a coach. The, the Corinthians were a people who were not Jewish. They were non-Jews living in the area of Corinth. And so their understanding of God was not this God of the Old Testament that the Jewish people were familiar with. It wasn't this God who had parted the Red Sea. It wasn't this God who had caused the, the, his children to build empires. It wasn't this God who had caused there to be this fantastic uh, worship facility that was uh, known throughout the land. No, no, no. For the Corinthians, this was all new stuff. Say all new. And for many of us, this is all new stuff. And so Paul had his handful, hands full training the Corinthians to think about things in line with the nature and the character of God. And so their expectations needed to be cultivated. So he's painting this picture. Paul became, for the Corinthians, in several chapters in, in, this, in this book, he became for them their giving coach. He became for them 
the person who would walk alongside of them and show them what to do and how to do it. He began to help them to cultivate a mindset and a mentality that this God, this God that they were serving, he had a plan and a purpose, even when it came to the financial areas of their lives. And so Paul became their giving coach. I'm telling you, I need a giving coach. There's something that goes on in this cycle that happens because we live in a fallen world that the expectation for these four things to continuously happen gets soiled. I start getting, we have jobs, we have other forms of income, we have other ways that God enriches our lives. And then I, I realized I have to grow. I've got to do something with it. I've got to invest it. I've got to put it away. I've got to save it. I've got to guard it. Then the desire comes or the opportunity to give comes. And somewhere between here and here, we get stuck. <laughs> Anybody else? We get stuck. And so having a giving coach, someone who could walk with them and give them grace, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, was so important. So as Paul brings his, his wisdom alongside of the Corinthians, let's go with them. Let's look at, I want to do a Pastor David thing. Let's look at three things. <laughs> three things we can learn from this passage when it comes to what should we expect as we sow? What kind of harvest should we expect? First and foremost, we should expect to harvest abundantly and outwardly. Abundantly and outwardly. See, there are at least 2,000 verses on money, wealth, and possessions in the Bible. 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke, 11 out of the 39 uh, were about money, possessions, and wealth. So there's something that God is connecting because he's not just teaching about it, Jesus teaching about it in the sense of, you know, it's not connected to his mission. It was very much connected to his mission to win the lost, to transform and change the world. And so guess how many times love is mentioned in the Bible? 714 times. So when we compare, not that one is more important than the other, but it does show us that God has some thoughts. And when we see in chapter or verse 8 that his thoughts are that we would be enriched abundantly. Come on, let's go back and look at it one more time. Because I, I want you to walk away from this time that your faith is fully grounded in God's word. That you understand you're not any longer being influenced by the culture or where you came from or even your own doubts and fears, but that the word of God has just begun to wash over you and train you to think kingdom thinking when it comes to your finances because God wants to do this. He is able to bless you what? Abundantly. So that, so there's this connection, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see the connection there? He blesses, there's this sense of prosperity, not the prosperity gospel, but purposeful prosperity. Would you say that, purposeful prosperity? And so God's not against blessing you 
and blessing you abundantly. He is for you in that regard, but there's the so that. We are blessed so that we may be a blessing. We are blessed so that we may change the world. We are blessed so that the, the hungry may eat, so that there will be uh, life in places where there's death. And so Paul begins to give us that perspective of life as our giving coach this morning. And so when we think about how we're getting, our mentality when we're getting, I remember coming to the Lord um, and having a sense of this season in my life where I wanted to be like a sponge. I needed to learn. I needed to grow. I needed to understand what, what, what is this new lifestyle that I was experiencing. And so as I did, I thought about all the things that I had experienced. I grew up in a, in a home wonderful home, mother and father, but somehow I was depressed even at the age of five. And some people are shocked to know that five-year-olds can be depressed. So depressed that I wanted to commit suicide. Some of you have heard my testimony before. And the day that I had the knife to my wrist, I began to have a sense though, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit working in around me at that time, that God had something better for me. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know who God was. I had no clue, but that he had something better for me. But I didn't have anybody to kind of walk with me and guide me and be my coach, so to speak. So fast forward just a few years, I'm drinking. Beneath the age of 10, I'm drinking. How did I get a hold of it? It was around. It was there. Homes that I was in, it was there. I got exposed to it. Fast forward a few more, I'm shoplifting. Fast forward a few more, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. Functional, I graduated from high school, went to college, and then began to decrease from there. You know, we have levels of bottom. The drinking wasn't my bottom. The drugs weren't my bottom. Looking for love in all the wrong places and being hurt and feeling rejected and used wasn't my bottom. The bottom was just the sense of hopelessness that I felt. And one day, as I was just hanging out on the campus, I had the desire to go to the Hackensack. I was going to Fairleigh Dickinson and Teaneck. There's a Hackensack River, there's a bridge very close to that. Had the desire to go to the bridge and jump. Next thing I know, my roommate comes and finds me, and she said, and she was a Christian, and she just had a sense that she needed to come and find me that day. We prayed, I get saved, I, I become born again, I dedicate my life to Jesus Christ, and we start going to this church that's near the campus right there in Hackensack. And while we're going to that church, my eyes are opened, and the understanding of God's generosity and God's magnanimousness, not a word, but begins to come and flood my soul. And from that day forward, I've been changed. I've been changed. I've been changed. And I say that to, to share with you that the, it was the church in that city that had the vision to build a house where people would come and they would experience the manifest presence of God. And that is where my calling for worship ministry began to be birthed inside of me. 
And so God begins to work abundantly in people to give so that lives can be changed and so that his manifest presence can continue to flow. So number one, expect God to bless you abundantly and outwardly. And number two, second thing, expect a harvest inwardly. Expect a harvest inwardly. So Paul begins to work for the folks here, and he wants them to know that God is a giver, not a taker. He wants them to see that all God has for them is, is the best that they could expect. And so as he's working with them through this, he's teaching them that your, the harvest of your righteousness is going to grow and that your resources are going to grow. But the point being is this, that it happens slowly, just like a plant grows. There's this slow, intentional growth that happens when we are sowing so that we can harvest. Thank you. See, there's something about the, the seed that gift that we're talking about, we're going to plant. There's something about that seed in the, in, in, when you put it in the ground. It begins to transform, the seed transforms, but Pastor Marco just told me before the service started that the soil transforms as well. In other words, what you give transforms, but it also has transformational power to change the very environment that it's being planted in. He said, it's just like when a woman gets pregnant and the seed, the child begins to grow inside of her, but her body begins to change as well. And so what happens is all of this happens with us on a spiritual level because of faith. Without faith, you will not be able to grow. Without faith, you will not be able to receive a harvest. What is faith? It's, as we say, full access into the heavens, F-A-I-T-H. It's free access into the heavens. It doesn't cost you anything. But once the seed is planted, there's some work that we need to do. Now, I am not a, a gardener, but my parents are. And every time I go down south to visit them, they try to get me out there. I'm like, no, I'm a city girl. That's okay. <laughs> but there are tools, our, our faith tool bag, so to speak, that we want to put into effect whenever we are pressing forward, whenever we are sowing and expecting to reap. It doesn't, the seed doesn't just go in the ground. There's got to be some work. This little thing right here, it's called a digger. And when it comes to cultivating the kind of faith that will work the ground, so to speak, work uh, uh, an ability for that, that seed to grow, there's got to be some digging. You've got to first put it in the ground. That's what the digger does. And so there's this decision we make. How many seeds will we plant? And then here's the fork. There's the fork. And so the fork, you can begin to carve out some area for the seed. You can begin to smooth out the ground for the seed. And the fork represents prayer. It represents prayer. Years ago, there was a man who uh, had a job, job that was paying very well, that actually took him uh, various places around the country, various places around the world, and that job also paid for his rent, his uh, car, his, he had a clothing allowance. It was one of those, those cushy jobs. He began to sense that God wanted him 
to step out and have his own business. He left the company, and then for the next year, as, much, as many startups are, there wasn't very much income at all. He goes to the Lord and says, Father, I really thought that I was doing this based on your leading. And so after praying and fasting, he begins, begins to understand, but just an inward impression from the Lord and reading the word of God, that there was something missing in his approach. And the Lord took him to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, where it says this, you will eat the good of the land if you are willing and obedient. And so he says to the Lord, Father, I believe I am willing and obedient. What, do you, what does this mean? And the Lord said to him, oh, you're obedient. You're obeying what you know, but you're not fully willing. In other words, you've not fully leaned into this. And he says he felt like that was a gut punch because he considered himself a man of God and a man of faith. And he said, well, I'll get willing right now. I'm going to do whatever you say. And as he began to get willing and obedient, he realized that he could only go in his growth towards harvest to the level of what he knew. And so fasting and praying begins to open us up to revelation from God for why perhaps the ground has not yielded this fruit that we've been waiting for. Oh, we've been sowing. Oh, we've been doing. We've been even cultivating the ground. But fasting and prayer begins to take it to a whole other level because growth happens two ways, through obedience and through the supernatural blessing of God. If we leave that part out, we're so, we're so cerebral these days, right? We're, we're, we just feel like we can just figure it all out. If we just check off every box, check off every box, then we'll be fine. But fasting and prayer opens us up to the supernatural, to engaging the Spirit of God. We're not fasting to twist God's arm. We're fasting to get a better understanding of what we should do and how we can be empowered to either wait on Him or trust Him anymore. Because, see, God gives promises for two reasons. Say two reasons. He gives promises, number one, to teach us to trust him in difficult times. And number two, he gives us promises to make us more like himself. So when we are using the tool bag of faith with fasting and praying, there's this growth that begins to happen within us that we can lay hold of the promises of God so that we can have a supernatural response to our planting. Are you with me? So number one, we want to harvest abundantly and outwardly. And number two, we want to harvest inwardly. We want to grow. We want to begin to see the spiritual dynamic of growth taking place in us. And the third aspect that we want to see is this. We want to harvest upwardly. So think about it. We get God has blessed us in various ways and on various levels. There's a growth that begins to happen. And then we begin to give. And there's two aspects of this giving. The giving, as Matthew chapter 6 says, we begin to store up our treasures in heaven when we give. Oh, there's, there's, there's definitely the, the, the things that happen on the earth level in terms of our giving, but there's also this transformation 
that happens in other people. I don't know if you've ever heard the song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. How many of you have ever heard that song? It's an old song. It began to um, come into uh, uh, popularity years ago. But I want to read a little bit of it for you because when we think about what it means to have treasure in heaven and how we are giving and why we're giving, then I don't know, but I don't know what, I don't know about you, but I don't know what that means. Treasures in heaven, tre heaven's already full. It's got streets of gold. What the author in Matthew chapter 6 is saying, what Jesus is saying, I should say, he's saying that our heavenly treasures, there are things going on in heaven that are impacted by our giving on earth. Wow. The song says this, it's the writer talking about a vision he had. He says, I dreamed I went to heaven. You were there with me, talking to one of his friends. We walked along the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw a young man, and he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you don't know me now. But then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One morning when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. The chorus goes, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Goes on. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. One by one they came as far as the eye could see, each one somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made unnoticed on the earth, heaven now proclaims. When we give, there are eternal ramifications. Lives are changed. And guess what? When you get to heaven, you get a reward. So don't store up, per se, your treasures on earth. Nothing wrong with having a savings account and a retirement account. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't make treasures your security. Don't make uh, being rich. Don't make having uh, luxury cars. Because the prosperity gospel, that is no gospel. Those people who try to live by this prosperity gospel where it says name it and claim it, pray it and just believe God for the Mercedes, for the five-carat diamond, for the six-bedroom house with 15 bathrooms, that is not biblical. Again, God gives purposeful prosperity. Nothing wrong with any nice things. He says, just don't let nice things have you. Don't let them get between you and the Lord. Don't let them have your heart. You know, there's some uh, wonderful things that we can learn from people who have found themselves in the position of wealth. Because there, there are ways that we are giving and growing that are practical ways as well. So I want to give you some of those practical ways. See, I heard about this article that was in Entrepreneur Magazine, and it had the title, The Habits of the Wealthiest People Versus the Habits of Poor People. 
And I was so interested in this because if, the, if we want to have a harvest, there are some practical things we should do as well as the spiritual things that will impact this glory that God will, will be receiving and we will be giving. And so here are some of the things they talk about. Now, they define a wealthy person as someone who earns uh, $160,000 a year and has $3 million in assets. And then they define, this is not our definition of a poor person, someone who makes under $30,000 with less than $5,000 in assets. So they said, let's see what the difference looks like between how wealthy people and how poorer people live their habits. And they asked the question, how many people wake up three or more hours before they go to work? And it was 4% of the wealthy people, 3% of the poor people. How many listen to audio teachings during their commute to, the work, to work every day? 63% of wealthy people, 5% of poor people. How many read for 30 minutes or more every day? 88% of wealthy people, 2% of poor people. How many exercise at least four days a week? 76% of wealthy people and 23% of poor people. Then they ask, how many watch reality TV? What do you think happens here? 78% of poor people and 7% of the wealthy people. Some of those shows are okay. <laughs> and how many believe good habits create opportunities? They said 84% of the wealthy people and 4% of poor people. See, one day, if we just make these little habits, these little changes in our lives, if we just begin to make some small adjustments, because small adjustments can result in great fulfillment of expectations. When we get up in heaven, we'll be able to sing that song as well. We'll be able to hear that song as well. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Lives were changed. So glad that you gave. And so... The purpose and the, the, the beauty of this is that this cycle starts and it can go on from your entire life. No matter how much you own, no matter how much you have, it's the getting, realizing that God blesses abundantly. It's the growing, doing that yard work. It's the giving, that investing, and then the grace of God begins to abound. This freedom, this beautiful awareness of how we are so thankful to God for what we have and so thankful for who he is. So we're having a harvest Sunday, a harvest weekend. But don't think it as, of it as God taking from you. Think of it as God giving to you. Opportunities, wisdom, your sowing seed in the ground that will reap a harvest in the days to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.